your honor. Let me get turned on here before I turn you on, right? <laughs> it is a great honor that Brother Joseph would allow me to come and fill the pulpit this morning. I know most of you folks here from a long ways back, we've been through a lot together, hadn't we? And uh, I always tell the story that Brother Harold and I, when he, when he came here, uh, he and I surrendered to the ministry about the same time, and, and I always get mad at him because he'd always suck up all the preaching jobs because he's a good preacher, and I was just learning, you know. It's like, it's like Brother Harold's already had it, you know, but no, it, uh, we go a long ways back, and it's a, it's a joy to be here. In the words of uh, the great Martin Lloyd-Jones, I would turn your attention to Galatians chapter 4, and you could be turning over there. Galatians chapter 4, uh, I, uh, I want to explain something to you this morning. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on the, the real gift this morning. And uh, over the last month or so, I understand what a real gift we have in sight, in eyesight. Uh, I have glaucoma real bad, and, and it's gotten to the point where they've started operating on my eyes, and I had eye surgery about two and a half weeks ago. Well, it began to clear up, and everything was okay, and, and it took a turn the other way. And uh, I want you to know this morning that if I look at you kind of funny, I'm not, I'm not giving you the evil eye or the stink eye or anything like that uh, because this side over here is pretty cloudy. But, uh, but it's okay. Uh, I know somebody that will carry me through it. Amen? And... Uh, so don't, don't think I'm looking at you funny because I'm not. I may not even see you. But uh, I'm not complaining about that. But what I, want, what I wanted, to, wanted to bring, because I know all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. But what I wanted to bring the attention to you is, is the gift that we have. We have so many gifts from God. He, he's so good to us. And we don't, we don't realize the gift until it's gone. And uh, it's kind of taught me something. It's kind of humbled me in a roundabout way, uh, which is not a bad thing, by the way. Uh, humility is a good thing. But uh, over the last month, I have come to appreciate my eyesight. But I hope this morning that we can come and appreciate the gift that God has given us, the greatest gift. In Galatians chapter 4, beginning to read in verse 3, we find these words. Paul writes to the church, he says, Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons... God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir of God through Christ Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning? Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we come to you humbly. We come to you asking for your help this morning. Not only help for me, but help for these folks to hear the word understand it, and apply it to their lives, Lord. May we be obedient to your word this morning. May we listen and be thankful 
for the gifts that you've given us. Father, I pray again that you'd help me, and I know you will, and I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. If we give a gift to somebody, that gift is something that we want to give, and we want to be, we want to be happy with it, don't we? If you give a gift to somebody, you've got to know what they like. You've got to know their favorite color. You've got to know what they, they dislike. You've got to know what they're interested in and those types of things. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 8, Your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. I want to talk to you this morning about opening the real gift, the greatest gift that God gave us. God knows us. He knows who we are and he knows what we need. And God knew from eternity past that mankind was going to fall into sin. And they needed a savior. He knows what we needed. He knows what we need today. It's been that way forever. The psalmist wrote, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin. And did my mother conceive me in Psalm 51, 5. We need to understand before we can understand the greatest gift that was ever given. We need to understand that we need a gift. We need to understand that we were born into iniquity. Every one of us were sinners. The Bible says there's not one of us good. You know, you hear people all the time, you know, they'll tell me, they'll say, you know, Brother Gary, I, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I, I'm, a, I'm a decent person. I'm, I'm a good moral person. The Bible says there aren't any. Are we going to go against God's word? You see, we have to understand our condition and to understand the greatest gift that God gave us. And how about this? Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. You see, I, I've often had a problem with, with preaching the good news, because we need to know the bad news first. Now, now, listen, I'm all for I'd love to get up here and preach every sermon, the good news, the great news. But folks, we need to understand who we are, and we need to understand who God is. And I think sometimes we miss that. There's not one good, no, not one, Romans 3.12 says. God knows us. He knows what's going through our minds right now. Isn't that amazing? As I struggle with this surgery thing, I, I, I'm amazed and I, I think back of Scripture. You see, I think the older we get, we begin to look through the eternal lens more, don't we? The closer we get, let's put it that way. And I begin to think about Friday morning, uh, I got something in this eye. A speck of dust or a piece of sand or something got in this eye Friday morning and irritated it to the point where we drove an hour to get back to the doctor's office. And I began to think about that pebble of sand, grain of sand. Did you know that God knows where every grain of sand and every pebble is? It's floating around out, there's stuff floating around out in space that we think it's out of place, but God knows exactly where it is. You see... I needed to go back to the doctor, but I didn't realize it. They needed to see me. But you see, God in his sovereignty 
brought some little piece of sand from Lord knows where and stuck it in my eyeball to irritate my eyeball in order that I could get back up there where they could see me. That's the God that we serve. We think of it as an irritation. A trial and a tribulation. Anybody here go through trials and tribulations this week besides me? That just, that, folks, there's no such thing as chance and circumstance. We serve a sovereign God that puts all those things in our way for his purpose and his glory and for our good. He knows best. Galatians 4.3 says there that we were children in bondage to the elements of the world. Warren Worsby writes that the Jews spent 15 centuries in kindergarten or grade school learning the ABCs of the gospel. And they still didn't get it. Some of them did, but some of them didn't. And most still aren't. They never came to Christ. Romans 8, 2 says we are under the law of the sin and death and we're under the bondage of the curse of Adam. And folks, we couldn't do enough. We couldn't pay enough. We couldn't pray enough to get into the kingdom of God. You see, God gets all the glory. You know, we think we have something to do with our salvation, but I guarantee you, if you'll study Scripture long enough, you'll see that we've got very little to do with it. Yes, you've got to know a person. You've got to know a person to give them a gift, to get them the right gift. Psalmist wrote in Psalm 103.8, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Aren't you glad? I think of the times that I, that I mess up and I sin and I do things that I shouldn't do. God's gracious and merciful. I think the United States of America, folks, we need to learn some grace and we need to learn some mercy with each other. We're fighting against one another. We hate one another. It's It's terrible. The church ought to, real, ought, to, ought to stand up and be counted right now. We ought to be merciful and gracious just like he was. James wrote that every good gift and perfect gift is from above. I like that. He says, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of changing. That's James 1.17. So let's begin to open this gift that we read about here. In Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Even so we were children. We, we were children in bondage under the elements of the world. Verse 4 says, but in the fullness of time. God's time. Did you know everything's on God's time? We think, we think we're in control. Folks, we ain't control of nothing. Amen? We ain't controlling nothing. That word but there in verse 4 brings a contrast. There's a change. And I'm going to tell you this morning, there had to be a change. There was a change in you when you were saved this morning or you weren't saved. Brother Harold used my old saying, my old famous saying during a conference this past year, if you is what you was, you ain't. I'm going to tell you something this morning. If you're the same person that you was when God got a hold of you, he didn't get a hold of you. Because I'm going to tell you this morning on the authority of Scripture, Almighty God will change your life. He'll change your heart. He'll change the way you act, the way you walk and talk, and the people you hang around with, there's a change. That word but brings a contrast. 
He says, even so, you were children in bondage. Change is about to take place. It's a new covenant. It's a new contract, if you will. A covenant is a contract. You make a deal with God, so to speak, in a roundabout way. He says, I'm going to save your soul. I'm going to draw you to myself. I'm going to do everything for you, but I want you to live for me. I want you to be obedient to me. You see, that's the part that the Jews never could get. They didn't have any problem with doing the sacrifices. That sacrifice is easy stuff, isn't it? The works are always easy, but that ain't the way. God loves obedience more than sacrifice. You see, we see God in in the flesh and came, Jesus. We saw his grace and his mercy in full view. That's why it's important we get in God's word and read and learn. The sovereign, holy God predetermined a time, and this is the time. He says, time. He, said, he got up and he said, Jesus, it's time. Now's the time. And in his providential working, all had been accomplished and the time was right for Jesus to come on the scene. The old covenant was empty. It was powerless. And it didn't have any, any power to change lives. God has sent a famine on the land, Amos wrote, not of a famine of bread nor of our thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, Amos 8.11 says. They wandered after that, seeking God and seeking a word from God, and they couldn't find it. Open your Bibles up with me real quick to the book of Matthew chapter 1. I want to show you something. Get over there. I can't take credit for this, but I'll give Leonard Ravenhill credit because it was in one of his sermons, and I'm going to use it this morning. What precedes Matthew chapter 1? What's over here? What is a blank page there for? Is it just the divider to divide the Testaments, the New Testament, the Old Testament? No. The blank page is there because there was 400 years of nothing between when Amos prophesied what he prophesied and when Jesus came on the scene. Don't ever forget that blank page when you see it. Folks, I pray to God that we never see a blank page again. It's getting harder and harder and harder to hear the Word of God in this country right now. I hope we don't have to go through 400 years of it. But I want to tell you this morning, that that place, that section there, that blank page there, that 400 years of nothing, they had no preaching, they had no prophets, but they kept right on going with all the ceremonies they had. They kept killing them lambs and them doves and them goats and all those things. And all that blood was spilled and it meant absolutely nothing. Blank page. 400 years and no preachers, no prophets. God said, son, it's time. And he sent John the Baptist on the scene and he began to proclaim the good news about the coming Messiah. You see, this gift came at the right time. Did you know God's never late? 
He's always on time. Our problem is, is that we want to live on our time, don't we? We want, to, we want everything to work out our way. I sure wish this eye had cleared up two weeks ago. But hey, it's for God's purpose and there's something in it. Have you ever, have you ever received something and you thought, boy, I really needed that? Showed up on time. How many of y'all in here is on Arkansas Valley Electric? Arkansas Valley Electric sends you a refund check every year. You know, the, the, the shares, they call it. And I can remember back in the days when I was invested in beans and blue jeans and I didn't have no money. That dadgum check would show up just in time, every time. It's great. Has somebody ever sent you something in the mail? A check, maybe, or some money when you needed it? Folks, God's always on time. He's never late. Have you ever told someone you don't have any idea how much I need this right now? Folks, that's God. That's God looking out for us. Do you realize how much this morning we need a Savior? You know, I know that probably most of y'all in here are saved, but I'm going to tell you something. You still need a Savior. But notice there that God gave his best. He gave his son. How many of us would send our son or our daughters to the cross? God did that. He was the God-man. He was born just like each and every one of us. He came and he was tempted just like we are, it says in the Scripture. He was born of a woman, but more than that, he was born of a virgin. It was a miracle birth. God did that for us. Because you see, that was the only way he could have been born for him to be the perfect sacrifice. What a God we have. It says there that he was born under the law. The old covenant law. The Mosaic law. The law that the Jews couldn't keep. And you and I couldn't keep them either. We couldn't do it. That's what makes the gospel of Jesus Christ so good. Is that we don't have to do it. Jesus already did it for us. But he wants us to be obedient. He wants us to live for him. I want to tell you this morning that he was the perfect gift and he kept that law perfectly. In fact, the Bible says that he came to fulfill that law. Folks, this is not merely a Christmas story, but it could be. It could be that. This is a story of a holy God, a, a merciful God, a God who cares and will stop at nothing when he's pursuing you. How many of us in here was chasing after God when he called us? Huh? Listen, I was 35 years old and I was having fun. I was hunting and fishing, doing what I wanted to do. And he began to draw me. I didn't understand it at the time. I drove past the Baptist church and I thought, huh, I might need to go to church sometime. I didn't want that. That wasn't Gary. Because I can tell you what Gary wanted. Instead of being right here right now, Gary would like to have been out there in the tree stand hunting. Amen? I mean, y'all the same way. But you see, that's what God does to us. He mercifully and graciously draws us and saves us. What a God we have. How many of us did God chase down here this morning? Huh? 
Because we weren't certain, we certainly wasn't chasing after him. I guarantee you that. I'm going to tell you something this morning. All glory goes to God for our salvation. Every bit of it. All salvation is of the Lord. Every bit of it. I wasn't involved in any of it. I think I had to, I think he probably had to drag me screaming and kicking down that aisle to get me down there. Any of y'all like that? I wanted to go. I didn't want to go. I wanted to go. I didn't want to go. It was a fight. It was that fight that Paul talks about over in Romans 7 where he says, I do the things that I shouldn't do. And the things that I should do, those things I do, that's the daily struggle, isn't it? In the fullness of time, he sent his son. In verse 5, we begin to unwrap this package, this gift, if you will, and we see what's inside. Look here. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Webster says to redeem is to recover a possession or ownership or by a payment or a price or a service. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus came to reclaim you this morning. If you're born again here this morning, Jesus came to reclaim what is his. Now contrary to popular belief, we are all, I'm talking about the world, are not children of God. We're, we're, we're a creation of God, but not everybody's a child of God. You see, you're either a child of God, you're a child of Satan. There ain't no middle line. There ain't no walking the fence. You're either a child of God or you're not. And I don't like what the other one is. You're a child of Satan. Contrary belief today the, the, the popular thing says, oh, we're all children of God. It's kind of like, like those people who say, oh, brother so-and-so died today and heaven received another angel. Folks, all the angels that's in heaven is already there. God didn't, God didn't save us to, get, to take us to heaven and make angels out of us. They're already there. Let me tell you something. Your relationship with God is far deeper than anything an angel will ever have. Redemption. Let me try to make this easy for you. The Redeemer is going to come and claim what belongs to him. Christian, your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, Ephesians tells us. And you belong to God. That ought to make you feel special if you're a child of God this morning. Can you imagine that God... Didn't look down through history and see who was going to be good and who deserved it. Before I was ever thought of, before you was ever thought of, your name was written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. Jesus is going to come and get what belongs to him. The gift was given. He's our, he's our kinsman redeemer, or, or as, as the book of Ruth says, he's our goel. And that word... Go well is a wonderful picture of our kinsman redeemer that we find in the book of Ruth. Boaz paid the price for Naomi's land and field that she had sold. And it belonged to her, but she had to sell it. And Boaz came along. He was her kinsman redeemer. Brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, Jesus is your kinsman redeemer this morning. He is your go well. You ought to be thankful for that. 
You see, Boaz adopted or took responsibility of both Naomi and Ruth. Jesus adopted you, he saved you, but not only did he save you, he took responsibility for you. And we'll talk about the helper that he sent you here in a little bit. Boaz adopted her. You see, friends, you and I, whether we realize it or not, we sold our adoption, we sold our inheritance because we were born into sin. Not through any fault of our own, but we got that same gene that Adam had, that sin gene. It was passed down to us. The gift of God came back to buy you back. He paid a heavy price on the cross to buy your soul back. What a price. But you see, only his blood was good enough. Only Jesus could have done it. He's the only one. You know, I hear people talk about, well, what about Buddha? And what about Confucius? And what about Muhammad and all those others? Folks, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is the only one. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way. He came as our kinsman. He was tempted just like you and I are. And every temptation that you and I have ever, ever suffered, he did it. He'd already went through it. He knows us. He kept the law perfectly. And he never sinned like we do. Jesus was the only one who had the means to redeem us. He came willingly. He didn't have to, but he did. Oh, what a, what a gift from God. But wait, there's a gift inside the gift here. If you look, not only have we been purchased and paid for, now it says we're adopted. We're adopted. Adoption is a picture of one being placed into a position of a natural child. You see, it took a supernatural act to make you a supernatural child of God. See, you don't have the human, oh, you've got the human nature still. But now you've got a supernatural nature. Christ gave us complete rights. You're just like, you're, you're an adopted son. Another gift inside the gift. Not only did the, the Father send a Redeemer, but he also sent someone to get us. Do these words mean anything to you? No man comes to the Father unless he first be drawn. John 6, 44. that mean anything to you? The Holy Spirit, God, Jesus, not only come and paid the price, but now he sends the helper. He sends the, the Holy Spirit to come and energize our heart and take that old hard heart that some of us may still have this morning. Anybody in here hard-hearted this morning? I didn't see nobody raise their hand. Everybody must have that heart of flesh. Amen. Isaiah prophesied about this in Isaiah 48, 16. He says, come near to me and listen to this. From the first I have not spoken in, 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 in a secret. From the time it took place, I was there. And now the Lord God has sent me. And if you'll go over there and look at it, the word me is capitalized. That's the Messiah and Jesus. And then he says, 
I have sent my spirit. Not only did he send to Jesus the greatest gift that was ever given, but inside that gift is another gift, the Holy Spirit who comes and draws us. Salvation is of the Lord. Every bit of it. Keeps giving more and more and more. It's that that gift that keeps on giving. You know, not only was the price paid in redemption, but now we're adopted. Now God sends the Holy Spirit to find us. I'm out there wandering around in the world having a good time, and the Holy Spirit begins to prick my heart, my conscience. And some of those things that, that that I enjoyed doing, he began to say, you don't need to be doing that. I didn't realize that, but that's what was going on. He sends us the Spirit. Remember, folks, we were lost. We we were lost. We needed somebody to come and help us find our way. God sent him. But it still gets better. There's more. Can it get any better? Oh, man, it gets better. In Romans 8, 14, we find these words. For all who are being, that's present tense, by the way, Led by the Spirit of God, those are the sons of God. You see, not only does the Holy Spirit come and get us, some of us kicking and screaming and dragging us down the aisle to salvation, not only does He come and get us, it says here that we're led by the Spirit. Do you realize the Spirit of the living God lives inside you? That's amazing. That's more more amazing than this eye stuff that I got going on. Way beyond that. Not only does he come and find us and change our hearts, but now he leads us. Christians, why do we live the way that we live sometimes? Why do we we fall into sin and stay and wall around in sin sometimes? God has done so much for us. There's really no need for that. I fear today that the church as a whole has neglected the part, this part of the gift. I fear today that we've become afraid of the Holy Spirit. I'm afraid today that most Baptists are afraid to get a little happy because they might think we're Pentecost. I'm afraid today that we're afraid to clap our hands when we're happy in the Lord because somebody will think, oh my gosh, I'm getting out of here. They're turning a bunch of Pentecost." I believe the Holy Spirit as a whole today in the church has become the forgotten member of the Holy Trinity. We've lost that. And I don't know why. Did you Listen, your face is not going to fall off if you smile. I look out there sometimes and it looks like a bunch of gorillas sucking on a lemon out there. We ought to be the most happiest people in the world. Go ahead and smile. Oh my goodness, nobody's face fell off. Have we neglected this part of the gift? You see, we want redemption and and we want this adoption thing. You see, we want the fire insurance. Amen? We want that. But we still want to do things our way, don't we? Mm, boy, that obedient part. I just don't like that, Lord. I, I'd rather stayed in bed this morning. It was raining outside. I didn't want to go to church this morning. 
I don't feel like praying this morning. I don't feel like reading my Bible this morning. Have we forgotten the words, not my will, but yours? Jesus spoke of a life more abundant. Folks, that begins at salvation. That don't Listen, that, that life in heaven is going to be spectacular, I have no doubt. But I believe, folks, we're missing the boat because I believe that abundant life starts the moment that you're saved. Have we missed something because we failed to miss the leading of the Holy Spirit? Take note of those words there, Abba, Father. We find these words used three times in the, Old Te- in the New Testament. Now, I've heard this word used as Daddy. But I don't like that. It's too earthy for me. Now you can, you, it, that's what it says. I understand that. I know what's the meaning of it. But it's a little bit earthy for me to my liking. It's deeper than that, I believe. Jesus used it from the cross, Abba, Father. But I think there's something inside these words that I think we miss. I think there's respect. I think there's obedience and I think there's trust inside those words. We know of our earthly fathers, don't we? We know we ought to be obedient to our earthly fathers. We ought to respect them and we ought to trust them, don't we? But I want to give you an example of something this morning. Turn with me, if you will, over to the book of Genesis, chapter 22. And I want to show you a verse of scripture, or two, or three, or five, or six, I don't know. We all know this passage of scripture. Genesis chapter 22, beginning to read in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and and Isaac, his son, and and split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. I want you to notice there he says, we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and the lad and laid it on Isaac his son and and took his fire in his hand and his knife and the two of them went together. Now look at verse 7. But Isaac said to Abraham his father, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood but there is no lamb for a burnt offering. That word, my father, there is closely akin to Abba, father, that we find in the New Testament. Now we see here, we all know this passage of scripture. We all know the account of it. 
But we see here a child that trusted as a child. We see a child that respected his father. But more importantly, he was obedient even unto death, possibly, if that's what it took. We see respect, we see obedience, and we see trust. How many of us would be honest this morning if we were in Isaac's shoes would say that we'd probably be running off the side of the mountain because we knew what was fixing to happen? My father. My father meant that he trusted him. My father meant that he was going to be obedient. My father meant that he was going to respect him. How many of us could rightly cry out this morning, Abba, Father? You see, only a true child of God can say that. It's simple, that word Abba. Notice that word is spelled the same way if you read it from the forward or if you read it backwards. Abba, Father. Abba, Father, that word Abba tells us the true condition of the heart. Isaac was obedient even unto death, if that's what it took. Abba, Father, I failed you again. Abba, Father. You see, those words activate grace. What happened to Isaac? You notice Isaac never said anything before this, and he never said anything after that. My father meant that he was going to be obedient to whatever it was that Abraham had in store for him. Because you see, Abraham was being obedient to his father. See how it works? Isn't that great? I fear today in our society that we've lost the meaning of father. The divorce rate is somewhere 60, 70 percent, depending on who you listen to or who who lies to you or tells you the truth, who knows anymore. We got one-parent families. I was raised in a one-parent family. My dad took off at an early age. I didn't understand what a father relationship was, and I fear that our society is just like that. Well, folks, it ought not to be that way in the church. We ought to understand our relationship with Abba Father, if we understand who he is and we understand who we are. We don't understand the father relationship. Look at verse 7. We're about done. Y'all even got a preacher's clock in here. Man, this place has been transformed. <laughs> Does that mean I could preach two hours if I want to? Y'all are great. But Isaac spoke to Abraham in verse 7. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Let's go back to Ephesians. I told you I'd blind in one eye and can't see out of the other. He says, therefore, Paul says, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Oh, man, it just, it, this, this keeps getting better. We come to the last part of opening this real gift. 
as if it hasn't already given enough, it just keeps giving some more. No longer a slave, but if you're a son, you're also an heir. Brothers and sisters in Christ this morning, God has given you and I everything we need to live a life more abundant than we do. I don't think we, we're not, I know we're not going to know on this side of heaven what we're going to inherit. But the Bible's full of words that tells us, if we're just listening to it. If we're children, then we're heirs, and we're heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Man, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I vote we go today. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. You see, the part that we don't like is the suffering part. And I'm going to tell you, our Lord suffered, and he told us if, he did, if they hated him, they're going to hate us. When's the last time you suffered for Jesus? When's the last time you, you went out of your way to make a point out in that lost and dying world when you knew it was going to cost you? Joint heirs. God chose to adopt us in eternity past. He sent his son to redeem us. He sent his spirit to find us and continually lead us after that. But not only did he show the care and compassion, he graciously made us joint heirs with Jesus. Oh, I wish I could explain that to you this morning, but I can't because I can't get my mind around it. Joint heirs with Jesus. Think about that. We inherit mercy and grace, do we not? About love. Did we not inherit that? About peace. Have you ever had that peace that passes all understanding? Have you ever stood in front of a casket somewhere where, where you knew that they were gone and you'd never see them again and, and you had that peace come over you that passes all understanding? You knew where they were and you knew where you were going. That's the peace that passes all understanding. I preached my baby brother's funeral and it was one of the hardest things I ever did. I couldn't cry for him for a long time. And I, th I thought I'd done something wrong. I thought, God, how come I can't cry for him? God was just holding me up to get me through it, what he was doing. Oh, I broke down eventually. But I had that peace when I was preaching his funeral. It passes all understanding. I don't know how I done it. People say, I don't know how you done it. I'll tell you how I done it. It was grace of God. That's the only way. It's that peace that passes all understanding but finally we'll have a eternal relationship a relationship that's never going to go away you're going to have it forever the good part about it is you can't mess it up that's what I like about it because man I mess stuff up do y'all if I could mess that up I guarantee you I'd mess it up that's what's in the real gift. There are many pieces to this gift. Back in the late 60s, 
Some of y'all weren't around then. Some of you were. Some of you remember this. You remember when we landed on the moon? Awesome thing. Well, they had this big old rocket that they launched this little old tiny space capsule on in a lunar excursion module, for y'all that don't know. But they had this big rocket, and they called it a Saturn V rocket. I don't remember if it's 1969. It's probably 1970 or 71. My mom had married my stepdad. He was a crew chief on John Kennedy's airplane. He was spitting polished Air Force, and he was hard. I learned I was in the Air Force before I was 12 years old. When he got when he got off of Kennedy's airplane, he was a drill instructor at Lackland Air Force Base. So I began to learn how to be in the Air Force at that age. I learned a lot of discipline. Taught me a lot of good things. But for Christmas that year, he he bought me a Saturn V model rocket that was four foot tall. Man, I couldn't wait to get in that box. I opened that thing up and he come over and closed the lid. There were a gazillion pieces in that thing. <laughs> and I know what would have happened. Now, I wasn't too happy about it then. But you had to understand, he was one of these guys that you'd done things his way. And we built that rocket over, probably it took us a year. Everything had to be painted right. Everything had to be just right. Oh, it was something. I wish I had it today. There was a bunch of pieces in that. He said, don't open those little packages in there. You'll lose those pieces. But I want to get it out and play with it. Have you ever opened the real gift? There are a lot of pieces that I showed you in that real gift this morning. pray that you hadn't lost any of them. And I pray that you will use those real gifts that's inside that real gift. Be careful not to lose a single one and use them for God's glory and for your good. Remember, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Sometimes even the bad things. Sometimes even a cloudy eye. You never know. Folks, there are so many pieces to this gift that I fear that we're not using them in the right way that God would have us to use them. They're there in order that we could glorify and honor Him. Because you see, that's what it's all about. Brother, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Thank you all for your attention this morning.